All right, this is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! We've got a fantastic guest, Barry Graves. What's going on, man? Hey, hey. <laughs> How you guys doing? Doing good. Man, we're so happy to have you. I think I, I asked you uh, a while back to come on, and uh, you had some uh, teeth issues. Me too. Yeah. Uh, I, I oh, definitely had. I feel like we've been. It felt like when you said it was going to be Barry, I was like, we already did this. I think we just did it in real life. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It feels, it just, it feels like a family reunion. Of yeah, course, uh, Barry that? Graves, uh, you are an actor and a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, you're a creative your own self, and, of course, you were our Richard Wright when we did a Foreman in Paris, and you did a magnificent job. Yes, oh, no, thank you. Thank yeah. You, man. Um, just thank you for the experience. Um, that was uh, something that came at a time where I definitely needed that theater therapy in my life. Mm-hmm. So thank you, guys. Yeah, well, hey, you know, you uh, you came to us at a very good time. I mean, I have all sorts of stories about the machinations that Norman and I had to do to get you on as mm-hmm. – Richard Wright. Right. <laughs> All oh. sorts of emails and stuff. I mean, I'm sure these are stories that you don't even know. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I love those behind-the-scenes sure. stories because it makes the experience when you see it on TV or, um, you know, you think back to them, it makes those uh, experiences that much more richer. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we had we had to go through it with a lot of the actors. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we, I'd love to have Angelo on because I'm sure, you know, he – has a lot to offer, and you know we, yeah. we did a lot of work to get him and Kim Donovan. There are all sorts of backstories right. about how we got you know you guys the together. That we got together, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, we missed a week, but uh, how was your last two weeks? Norman? Busy. Yeah. It's been busy. I so I couldn't be here for last one because I was doing an all day intensive theater intensive for high school students at the nice. Eugene O'Neill Bauhaus in mm-hmm. Danville, and uh, and in fact. Just as we were walking in the door today, I got a message, got a call from them saying, oh, yeah, we do have your scripts. I got to go back up there and get these scripts. But I've been doing that. I've been auditioning. I just had a wonderful experience auditioning. Um, I got my kids started on excuse me, Octavio Solis's Mother Road, which is up in Ashland. It's so funny. Just as we were getting started mm-hmm. uh, with the play – um, he posted that it was the sixth performance. They had just, they were just finishing up previews. Nice. And he said, and the wild thing about being in Ashland, mm-hmm. they got a hundred more performances to go. Oh, Ashland, this is the Globe. Is this the Globe? No, well, it's an uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Yeah, Not but I Globe. know. The Globe is San Diego. Okay, but I'm thinking about in Ashland, they have what looks like the old Globe oh, Theater. Yeah, I don't doubt that they have one. Okay, yeah. but but it wasn't there. Well, it's in one of the spaces. I don't know which. Okay. They've got a number of spaces there. Yeah, but and it's they a do beautiful. represent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Ashland's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Um, Octavio was, and I think his birthday happened recently. I think we had a shout-out for it. Um, Octavio was a Bay Area playwright, and now he lives up there and has got a farm. Mm. Uh, and so it's been great to tell my kids, I actually know this guy and relating to it. But, yeah, it's just been busy. It's been wild. And then these auditions, I just want to touch on, you know, I've said in various podcasts, I've talked about me and my experiences and trying to get my head straight because it's not about the talent. It's not about the preparation, you know, the material. It's like when I'm I'm always dubious about training programs, theater training programs, because they spend so much time on the art. And the fact is, if you were a painter and you don't know how to frame your shit and sell it to somebody, yeah. you're going to be Van Gogh. Your ass is going to be dead. <laughs> yeah. You're depressed and dead. 
and and broke, and then your stuff's gonna pay, you know, sell for millions. Right. Later. You know, you got to know how to, to do that stuff, and none of the programs teach you how to get out in the world and do this. Yeah. So I, in recent years, have started creating for myself, um, among other things, a mantra, something to get my head straight when I walk into this room with mm-hmm. these people, sometimes who I know, mm-hmm. and who I know, and I can't help but think, I know, and you ain't been hiring me. Mm-hmm. We ain't even had no communication. What the hell? Mm-hmm. So don't, don't have me walk in and you go, hey, Barry, man, good to see you, when I ain't even reached out to you. Right. You know, where you been? What you been doing? Well, you know, if you actually paid attention, you know, <laughs> why are you why are you jamming me yeah, up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so to get that attitude out of the way, yeah. I came up with a little mantra. I really want this job. I am excited about the opportunity to do this, and I'm so thrilled about the preparation that I've done to show you this piece today. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's going to go well, and I hope that you will feel the same way and you know, I'm excited yeah. at the possibility that I'm gonna get hired here today. I, I do the same thing. I um, so I I <clears throat> like with Susan Evans. Susan Evans is at the Town Hall Theater, and she's the artistic director. She was the artistic director of DMT, and also I've worked a long time with her with EastEnders. And a lot of times she'll have a play, or she'll come up with a um, a series or whatever. And I'm like, oh goody, I'm, yeah, I get to because you know I'm one of her favorite actors, and I won't get the call. Right. And I'm like, hmm. And sometimes I get upset. But then I'll say to myself two things. Number one, is this do I really see myself in this production? Right. Do I see my because if, if I'm not a fit, then obviously, and we've all been in I'm roles. Come back to that one that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But also, if I'm not, if people aren't seeing what I want them to see in me, right? I can look at someone else and say, "Hey, what's your problem? Why can't you see the goodness in me?" Or I can say to myself, "What do I need to do?" Maybe I need to brush up on another monologue right. or, you know, let's say get in myself into another show where right. I can show another side of myself, yeah. something that someone else isn't seeing. That's that's so what I learned. And feel free to jump in at any time. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But, um, what I have learned is mm-hmm. that attitude of I've known you for 10 years, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Why ain't you caught? My number ain't changed. Why right. are you not calling me? Right. Why are you not emailing me? recognizing, and it took me a long time to really chew on this, these people see literally hundreds of actors a year. Some of them see thousands of actors a year. Mm-hmm. They are not going to remember little of you. Right. It's not that they don't like you or appreciate your talent. They just have got so much going on that whatever is in their face is what they're going to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So i got to remember to be in their face. And the other thing I taught myself, so I did that mantra, and it's three things that I just, I'll sit in the room going, like I just did, um, and it's so funny. So I just did this audition, Playwrights Foundation. Number one, I don't know if I can actually do it because I start As You Like It this week. I start, um, we're going to start workshopping some music for As You Like It. Hmm. That contract is really nice. Hmm. And then the show's going to run all summer. We're going to do... And I didn't realize this. We do Pleasanton, Cupertino, Redwood City, and then two spots in San Francisco. This show is going to run all summer. So I'm not sure I can even do the festival. Right. Right. But I thought, wait a minute. Rather than me, you know, one of the best things you need to know in negotiating is it's not your job to say no. You definitely need to know what your bottom line is Mm -hmm. and don't go below that. What's the minimum that's acceptable to you? Mm -hmm. Not just money, but period. 
And so know where that is, but don't say no. Make them say no. Instead of even saying, oh, that's not enough money, I can't do it, say, oh, that's, that's you know, if, if I'm going to do this, I actually need more money. Yeah. Let them say no. Yeah, so and, that, and that's the right way of doing it. Right. Barry, as you've, um, you know, you've because you dabble both into film and also theater, so you have to go through negotiations as far as getting your stuff up onto a platform and also just making an audition. How do you deal with the audition process? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not stage shy. Um, yeah. So, um, my, my, my mantra when, when I, before I go into an audition is just boss the wall. Like it, it I'm going to walk in there and leave no table in turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, before I walk into an audition, I make sure I know my character. Um, and you know, before I even got into acting really, I was just into entertaining. I, I, when I was a little kid, my first uh, recollection of of seeing a music video on TV was uh, uh, Atomic Dog, um, and and then Duran Duran's uh, 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 Man Eater video, mm-hmm. uh, where they're running through the jungle, and mm-hmm. um, and I remember singing. I got a candy cane, big giant candy cane for Christmas. Uh-huh. I remember going into the family room where the TV was and singing my heart out to Michael Jackson. Right. And when I turned around, my whole family was standing there laughing and just snickering and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I got older, it, it developed into something else. And, and uh, one of my uh, teachers, uh, teacher assistant in fifth grade, uh, Rod Sepka, um, he was a student at um, San Francisco State. I had a prosthetic eye for Halloween. My mom just bought it for me. He said, that's your costume. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I'm an actor. I'm going to put this on for you because I have the glue. Yeah. And he's putting it on, and he goes, you know what? One day you're going to be a, an, a famous actor. Mm. And this is in fifth grade. I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. So um, come time for the school play, I got the leading role because I just I fell in love with just the character. You know, yeah. so even to this day, I fall in love with the character. So when I go into the audition, I'm not shy. I, I, I know who I'm playing. I know the emotional depth, I can take it. I cry. I give everything I can. And then when I leave, they're like, wait, this was just an audition. Can you tone it back a little bit? Or mm-hmm. can you just read this again? Or can you do it differently? And I give them five or ten different, whatever they want, yeah. I give it. And I think that's a part of um, just being a performer. Because even in hip-hop, you think you're the best rapper. You, you think mm-hmm. you're the best Nobody can talk. Yeah, that's that ego that you have to have. You have to have a sort of uh, arrogance, um, a sort of confidence, a pride that, you know, mm-hmm. what you, when you walk in. Yeah. And we'll talk more about, you know, um, how you got into theater. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, jump into current events. I don't have a lot of um, – I've been – so, you know, last week we did a dedication of uh, a friend of ours, Jeff Thompson. I don't know if you knew yeah. Jeff Thompson. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you want to uh, add because – it just feels like I've been surrounded by death, you know, like your student. Oh, a lot of death. Yeah. No, no. Um, and tomorrow, and we'll talk more about it later, but Robert Alexander. That's right, his daughter, his 23-year-old daughter. 23-year-old daughter. Wow. Just died in her sleep. Died in her sleep. Oh, man. Yeah. That's Can you so, believe that? No, yeah. no, Jeff, um, so I think of Jeff, I think of Chuck when I think of Jeff. Sure. Uh, Charles Polly. Um, because that's I met him in San Francisco as I was trying to figure out the theater scene. And what I loved was 
you know, you read plays and you think about how you would have done it or what they should do or whatever. You have your vision of what the theater should be. Mm-hmm. And Chuck so clearly did, and then he started to bring it to life. And that was when I met Jeff, was um, through EastEnders, the mm-hmm. creation of EastEnders. And Jeff was in there pretty much from the beginning, just committed to working and helping to bring it to life and always had a wonderful um, insight, Yeah, you know, was wonderfully articulate, um, not shy about his opinion, which around Chuck you needed to be. Because yeah. Chuck, Chuck had a way of telling you this is the way the world is, and sometimes you had to go, well, maybe sometimes, but yeah. not always. I always looked at Jeff as being like a Roger Ebert of theater. Yeah, yeah. a good way yeah. of putting it. Yeah. So, he even yeah. looked like uh, Roger Ebert, but yeah, but he—I w- mean—he could be very cutting as far as his criticism, not to be negative, but just to say, "Hey, listen, this is reality." Right, right, and he had a way of doing it to do it that was grounded in rather than me attacking you, let me talk about why I think it's this other way or mm-hmm. why there's something else you should consider. Yeah, and he was wonderfully articulate about it. Yeah, and um, so not only that, but. This past, I think, last weekend, two survivors of Stoneman Douglas right. committed suicide. Yeah, suicide yeah. The father of um, a, woman, a girl who died in Sandy Hook yep. also committed suicide. Yeah. So you have that going on. Now I'm reading right now. Alex Jones, this just popped up on the news right now, uh-huh. admits Sandy Hook was real and says a form of psychosis caused his disbelief. <laughs> oh, that's just, I didn't even read the whole you know, article. Do you know who Alex Jones is? Yeah. Crazy guy, InfoWars. Infowars yes. Terribly yeah. alt-right. Although it looks like, you know, he's coming around. Well, he's being busted for it, and I'm sorry. That is not a defense. Put his butt in jail. Put his butt in jail because these poor people are being um, – yeah. Last week, uh, This American Life did a piece on it. Yeah. And I'm listening to this. And, it, you know, This American Life catches you. You're driving, and you go, <laughs> you pulls up someplace, and you're like, I'm just going to listen to two more minutes of this. And the next thing you know, an <laughs> yeah. hour has gone by. Sure, yeah. Um, but they started with a guy. He said he was at a bar election night mm-hmm. or the day after or something. And he, stranger next to him, and he says, well, did you vote? You know, just, you know, just casual. And he says this guy goes into this 10-minute rant, and at some point he mentions this kid's name. And the guy stops him and says, hold on a second. You really should be careful about what you say. Pulls out his ID. He's the father of the kid. And as soon as the guy sees his license, he knows who he is. He knows who this father is. Mm -hmm. And he says, how do you live with yourself? How can you live doing that? That is horrible. To have your child be one of those crisis actors Blah, blah, blah. Wow. Because Faking this kid, mm. as part of this whole thing through Alex Jones, yeah. um, there was a shooting in Africa. There was a massacre in yeah. Africa. Mm. and Or it might have even been Bangladesh. Someplace. It was someplace the other side of the world. Sure. Somebody in the crowd had a T-shirt or a poster with this kid's picture on it. Mm-hmm. And InfoWars spun that to be, this is a crisis actor. He just shows up at these things. Mm-hmm. He's not real. And then his parents, his supposed mm-hmm. parents, are these people who are faking it, and they're getting paid really good money to keep up this yeah. conspiracy. Yeah. So here's this guy with his driver's license facing somebody, and the guy's response is, you're not real. Yeah, we have to be very, very careful. I mean, I can even tie this in with the Jesse Smollett story because we have, yes. we have reality, <laughs> real tragedy, 
And then, of course, you know, they're not going to prosecute Justice Smollett because, but I still believe it's fake. But, Go but ahead. That's, is it real? Is it fake? So I am having a very polite disagreement with somebody online. Mm. Tondiway okay. posted something from another guy. It was intelligent, but it really wasn't well written. Yeah. So I responded with, there's a lot here to unpack. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure about all of what you're saying, but unfortunately, I but I agree with your assessment, your final assessment, which is we may lose this next election if we can't get it together. And, and I said, unfortunately. And so he came back very polite and said, I'd be interested to hear your critique. So I'm like, okay, marginalized person. That's what <coughs> we started off with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're putting Jesse Smollett in the category of marginalized persons uh, because he's black and he's gay. Okay, let me flip it and tell you who I think of as soon as I hear what's going on. I think of OJ and MJ. Yeah. So these are people with money and power. Oh, and he came back to that when he said, well, he's not a big like they are. He's a minor. I'm like, he's on Empire right now. Mm-hmm. He is a star. Yeah. And it sounds like trying to be a bigger star. So what actually happened? What was it a hoax? Was it real? Either way, the Chicago police obviously overreacted to it, yeah, and then they lost their whole case because of that. And it's also like a distract. There, there was a movie that came out um, maybe 2006 or seven, um, Battle in Seattle, um, mm. where it had to do with a protest taking place in Seattle, um, and then people that had nothing to do with the protest smashing glasses and uh, windows oh, right. and right, getting right. violent, and then it distracted. Uh, took away from the message or the the cause of the, what the real protest was about. Right. Um, and then you know people, of course, they got to the media. The media is like, well, these protesters are they're horrible people. Look right. what they're doing. Right. Right. Um, this is that kind of distracting. Yeah. Um, Antifa, black. What do they call them? The the black black squad or something. Mm-hmm. The people who yeah. cover their heads and then they all go right and break organizations. And and shit. No, no, no. Yeah. These are these are left. Oh, left. Antifa is a left organization, anti-fascist. Yeah, that's right. And they come out in response to the right-wingers, and they want to engage them. But there's also the black, I forget what it's called, black squad or something, where they just come out just to get crazy. I heard about them up in Sacramento. uh, They were here in Oakland, too, and breaking windows and stuff. And then worse, a Berkeley police, undercover police officer dressed up like one got outed during a protest. This is my, maybe two or three years ago. Got outed mm. and then had to suddenly go, go play cop. So he was like, oh, no, no, I'm a police officer. You need to back off. You need to leave me alone. It's like, no, 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 dude. You came in here acting like you were going to cause trouble. You came in here as an instigator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dressed as an instigator. Wolf in sheep's clothing. And now you're going to claim, oh, no, I'm a police officer. I, I uphold the law. You, no, they got in so much trouble. As there. if that's any better. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like I, 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 it's it's amazing because um, just how you were talking about the guy in the bar with the with the ID. Mm-hmm. Um, someone was talking to me and they said, um, you know, well, some of these uh, black kids they wouldn't be getting shot if they wouldn't run from the police. Right. And I said, well, you know, I had a cousin who got killed by the Oakland police when he was 19 because he ran. Uh, he didn't have a weapon on him. The uh, Oakland police settled out of court for about a million dollars. Right. And after hearing about it on the news the in the first night that it happened, you didn't really hear you about didn't it hear again. It again yeah. um, and 
it's it's okay to say, well, he shouldn't have ran, but think about it. You're black. You're in a neighborhood uh, where police um, um, drive by every five to ten minutes and mm-hmm. harass you. Right. If a police officer pulls up on you, uh, flashes his lights or sounds his alarm, your instinct is to run because right. you don't want to either get beat up, harassed, right. or searched. Um, or you may have a warrant and you don't want to go to jail, right. so you're going to run. But it's not it's not to say that he deserved death right. because he was scared. Right. Did you see blind spotting? Yeah, I, I, I was just thought I was just thinking, thinking about that. They do that in blind spotting and yep. they capture it so well and you feel his fear yeah. and the impulse to run and how much he's just pushing yeah. it down. And it yep. and it does it in a way that I don't think I've ever seen it before. I, maybe the only other time that I've seen it was uh, Boys in the Hood. Uh-huh. I don't know if you guys remember that. Reginald Hudlin had directed yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. There was part where Cuba Gooding is, right. you know, is taken out, uh, hassled by a cop, a black cop. Right. Yeah. And, uh, oh, boy, I'll never Blue. forget that scene. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the cop is just basically really just – you know, he's kowtowing to, you know, his white superiors right. saying, hey, I'm bl- I'm blue. And uh, he's but, you know, you're absolutely right, I think. And coming from working with the DA's office, we we want cops to act accordingly. Yes, right. someone may have committed a crime, but, hey, bring them in court, arrest them, you know, right. and we'll, let's treat them. And right. that's why I think that the Justice Simulette thing went away, because. The Chicago police, I mean, we had a police chief getting on all sorts of daytime media, talk shows, the talk media, shows, yes. not just saying you what they should say. Like, right. listen, this is a case that's pending. You know, we can't really talk too much about it because we don't want to influence right. the jury pool. No. What's the standard no, totally script? Totally trying it in the media. But just excoriating him in the media. Yep. And I'm sure the DA or some prosecutor said, hey, man. What's, what do you think a defense attorney is going to say right. if I get you on the stand? And this was all happening during the Roger Stone shit. Yeah. You know, um, Target, a picture of the judge with a Target up in the corner of right. the picture yeah. and stuff. And they're barely slapping him on the wrist, but mm-hmm. they're going to come down on this black man, 16 count. What? Yeah. Right, right, exactly. So it was absolutely crazy. But, yeah, you know, it, the the and I think there was another uh, – there was a kid who was running away from – police officers and uh, he well I mean there, there, there are all sorts of stories of yeah. cops just doing all sorts of crazy things and sure people can say you shouldn't have run and like even Michael Brown I think about that Ferguson yeah. Missouri yeah. where well you know oh, hey, I've he looked at the autopsy report yeah exactly and he may have stolen something at a corner store uh, he, it looks like he didn't steal something the, well he was accused was, of yeah that's what he's accused of but apparently yeah. he made a deal with this dude and came back in to finish up their deal, yeah, and then grab some cigars as a you know, sort of a you know, you me, we're cool, mm-hmm. which is why the guy didn't like seriously try to go after it, yeah, and they did not want to prosecute, yeah, but that's why we have we need to have law enforcement who will do the right thing. So yeah, I don't I don't necessarily blame a kid for running. Um, I mean, if you want to, you can say, well, I've got to obey the police officers, and also we don't know what the accounts are unless we believe. You know what the police report says. And if Jesse Smollett mm-hmm. was really attacked, then our law enforcement has failed. If it was a hoax, then our law enforcement has failed. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, y'all. They didn't. There's no win for them on this. Exactly. One. They messed up. Yeah. And so, I don't care if he gets off. Yeah. You know, same with OJ. I, I love people have that debate. No, I, I totally think OJ killed his wife. Of course I do. Yes, I do. And I'm not mad that OJ got off. Because y'all play these crazy games, and mm-hmm. until y'all fix the system, 
then we should get to take advantage of the system just like y'all do. Yeah, it's amazing how you hear about L.A., especially in the 90s, all sorts of crazy things that were going on. That rotten. Now, Rodney King, was that before or after O.J.? Because I can't... That was, I, it was before. That was before, but it was right around the same time. A few years, yeah. Yeah. But getting back to uh, the majority, like uh, like Alex Jones and, like, can words hurt? Like, you know, it's like, well, Alex Jones, he's just... That's just free speech. Info talks and all that sort of stuff. I mean, Barry, I mean... How, you know the law. Yeah. How does free speech cover you lying? When people let you know that's not the truth, here are the facts, and mm-hmm. you continue to lie... How is that free speech? Yeah, civilly you can be sued. Obviously, if you're in a movie theater or a theater and you yell fire and, and somebody no fire dies, yeah. then you're, that's a criminal charge. Well, then there's plenty of criminal charges because all these families have had to move, change their numbers, yeah. lose their stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you, if you out someone, if you give someone their phone numbers and all that sort of stuff. So Alex right. Jones is, you know, is clearly in trouble. But then how, how do you – you, where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the – Michael Jackson documentary that came out. Oh right. yeah, that's right. A lot right. of people will say, "Well, that's their that's their experience. They're right. free to talk about it and things." But what you're doing is you're not only are you tarnishing um, this man's name right. who cannot defend himself, right. yeah. which is why you're tarnishing him because he can't defend himself. Right. Um, but also, it's going to give other people a uh, reason to go after things that he owned or things that have his name on it or mm-hmm. the legacy that he left behind. Right. So. Uh, when do we draw the line in free speech? And yeah. who is entitled to free speech in America? There's also a flip side. I mean, there are some victims. Like, I don't know what happened, you know, between the kid and Michael Jackson, you know, right. any of the kids. Mm-hmm. But if you tell someone, listen, if you think you were, you know, if you, in your mind, you were molested by Michael Jackson, well, he's dead. Don't say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, free free. it can, it part, can go both ways. It can, yeah. and that part doesn't even bother me. And I'm real clear on this. I love Michael Jackson's music. I have always loved Michael Jackson's music. I can't imagine a time when I will not. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, I've grown up in an era where I've had a few of my heroes tarnished. And went, ooh, like Miles Davis apparently was just horrible oh, yeah. to people. Yeah, and Cicely Tyson and, would and have talked all to, about it. Yeah. women. Yeah. Miles Davis' music is incredible. It's still incredible. Mm-hmm. Now... <laughs> I don't want to put any money in his pocket, but I'm not going to say his music's not great. Sure. Um, or let's take it into another um, arena, uh, Pete Rose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should not take the man's records away from him because he gambled. Right. I'm sorry. He worked his ass off on the field. I would he love to see him in. The, I would stuff. love to see him in the Hall of Fame because you know a lot of the stuff he did was what was after he left the field. Put an asterisk by it mm-hmm. so that you can let anybody who wants to know. Oh, but he did dirty. I got no problem with that. Or he might have done, like with Michael Jackson, he might have done dirty. We don't have the evidence. We don't have the proof. But there's this controversy. Okay, but let's put that to the side because Mm -hmm. art is art. And there are people who I won't go see their stuff ever because I'm offended. And then there are other people where I'm like, uh, like if Kevin Spacey puts out a new movie, I'm going to be interested in seeing it. Kevin Spacey is one of the greatest actors of our time. And and that's what I mean. Where do you draw the line? Because like you said with Pete Rose, he he gambled, right? Right. But you have racists in baseball. You have have guys that are openly racist in baseball. But they're still given the the respect, the the parade at the end of the year. And um, um, with singers, you know, we I was talking with somebody about this uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, with the R. Kelly R. thing. R. Kelly, yep. And it's, I, I, 
one morning, man, I woke up with one of his songs in my head, and I couldn't get it out. Right. <laughs> so I had to play it, and I sang it in the shower, which led to other R. Kelly songs coming right, on. Right, right. And then later I was like, wait, what are you doing? Why aren't you supposed to hate him? And I'm like, but why do I want to hate him? And it's really because in oh, the climate that we're in today. New York mayor. Mm-hmm. They tried to beat up the New York mayor because he was singing um, I Believe I Can Fly, and I'm like, that's a great song. What the fuck are you talking about? It's a wonderful song. You know how many graduations people... It's one of the most uplifting songs. And, and, oh. and the, but here's... The, like, so where we, the time that we're in today with social media, um, it's kind of like when you were in grade school and you had a certain group of kids that said, hey, we're gonna, we hate him. Don't you want to hate him? Right. You're like, yeah, I hate him, but you don't know why. Right. You're just going with the crowd. But now, right. millions of people can do that. Right. And before you know, before you even get to why they hate this person, now you're hashtagging it too. Because you're going to get those followers or you're going to get um, responses or start a conversation. And yeah. with, with the R. Kelly thing, it's like, okay, he did make some really good music, but he also made some creepy music. Um, some like, some really, oh, that must be me. Um, ah, you got a timer on. Yeah, he also made some music that was really questionable. You know, age ain't right. nothing but a number. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, um, in the videos, yeah. It seems like you're ready. And you're thinking, like, was he talking to a 14-year-old girl? Yeah, bump and grind, yeah. Bump. yeah. Think about that. Yeah, yeah my mind's yeah. telling me no, but my body's telling me yes. Right. Yeah. You know, that kind of you thing. You remind me of my Jeep. Didn't he do that, too? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah. And while well, Barry's getting I'll his phone, touch, we'll continue well, to I'll talk. Touch on a different one. Yeah. Um, which is also current events. Mm-hmm. So, last Sunday was Lawrence Berlinghetti's 100th birthday. Mm-hmm. He's a beat poet. Yeah. He started City Lights Books in San Francisco. Oh, nice. There was a huge celebration and Richard Talaveras put Talavera mm-hmm. put together a um, an event. Yeah, and I participated, and we ended up on the date book Monday oh, on nice. the front page of the date book, which nice. was very cool. Um, in this conversation with this guy about what's going on with Jesse Smollett, mm-hmm. um, in this email exchange, uh, this Facebook exchange I'm having with this guy, mm-hmm. I said, I, you know, when you want to talk about the Trump people mm-hmm. and you want to put them in this category. It's where I have a lot, because I did not, I will freely admit, I did not vote for Hillary. I didn't vote for Trump, which is where so many people go, oh, you, then you got Trump in. No more than you did. I voted in a, I voted in a not Trump column, just like you. And I did it in California, so I knew where my vote was going mm-hmm. and right. how much my vote was worth. And oh, by the way, your vote for Hillary meant no more than my vote someplace else. Yeah. Because she got so much that. Your vote didn't matter. Yeah, th- yeah. California's deep blue matter. state. Yeah, but um, so he's lumping these people in, and they do it with this idea that, and they stupidly voted for Trump. They didn't. Some of them did. Yes, a lot of them knew they did not like the way things were going. They did not like what Hillary represented, which was a continuation of the way things were going. Mm-hmm. And they said, "I will vote for anything else." And that man lied and promised them all kinds of stuff. And most of them even knew that he was lying. Yeah. So I'm like, don't dump all that in the same category. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I would put it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I look at this in a much bigger lens. After World War One, if you know your history, American history, after World War One was a huge dissatisfaction with what had happened because that was the Great War. That was going to be the war to end all, all wars. wars. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it clearly wasn't. And when them stories came back of the horrible things that happened, what's the um, – oh. There's a novel. Um, oh, um, All Quiet on the Western Front. All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's a horrific novel. Yeah. Um, 
It so captured what was going on, and that was their mentality. So we have what they call the lost generation. Yeah. Matter of fact, there was a wonderful documentary about World War One that just came out. Oh, yeah? Um, the guy who um, who produced it, oh, he does the Game of Thrones. Um, oh. I, f- I forget who he was, but it basically had a uh, – they colorized – I saw that. Oh, yeah. the um, the, the old footage. old footages mm-hmm. to show you just the atrocities. Yeah, World War One. I. I mean, it was really the first modern war. It was, and so there was that. Then we had it again after World War Two. Yeah, it's called the Beat Generation. Yep. And Howell is their their manifesto. Yeah, I Ginsburg, have right? Seen Ginsburg, I, and that's City Lights. Back yeah. to all this. Um, I have seen the greatest minds of my generation. That's what he starts with. Mm-hmm. And he says, he's talking about people doing heroin and doing everything they can to to get out of the system. Mm-hmm. They do not want to support or be a part of this system. Yeah. We are in another one of those right now. That's where we're at. And so these people, some of who voted for Trump, more than voted for Trump or Hillary, didn't vote at all. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, this is bullshit. And I'm not part of this. Yeah. So... Throwing Getty kind of represents that, and we did three little routines this, mm-hmm. this weekend from a book that he'd written in 1964. Yeah, and um, and the crowd sat there. And you could tell people were kind of scratching their heads at what was going on. That's exactly what he wanted to say. Yeah, Just don't accept what you think you're seeing. Mm-hmm. It's much deeper. And what, much you know, we're seeing, and, and I see it now in not only television but also in the movies, sort of a protest type of. I guess cinema, uh, you know, like even with, you know, like, uh, you know, this people may say the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, having women, you know, like uh, like there's a controversy oh. with Captain Marvel and what shouldn't there be any controversy? There shouldn't be any controversy at all. Controversy <laughs> well, just that, you know, you know, you, Carol Danvers, you know, she doesn't there's no male figure. There's no love figure. And and Brie Larson, but who is the character. Was. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There never was. I mean, every time that she's ever. Uh, that character goes back to the 70s, and mm-hmm. every time there's ever been a love interest, it never lasts. Yeah. And Brie Larson is, of course, using her platform as the lead character right. to talk about women's issues. And yep. there are people who are rolling eyes like, oh, my God, I'm sick and tired of hearing this stuff. And, hey, listen, and I wanted to sort of talk about this before we get into a uh, origin story with Barry. But do you think there's a cottage industry of people who raise their hands and say, I'm a victim? Like, you know, we like leaving Neverland, we have victims. Right. And uh, the R. Kelly thing. Uh, yeah. And Monica Lewinsky's back in the news. You know, she's jumping on every there talk show she could possibly can. There definitely is, but I think more than that, there's this charge of it, which just sort of tries to squelch everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah there, there, I, I, there is a, a culture, a victim culture um, going on. Not to say that there aren't victims, um, but are you really a victim? You know, like there, there is a, um, cert, certain people have their truths, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you call yourself a victim, you're calling somebody a perpetrator yeah. of a crime or right. something. Right. So you have to be careful of the way that you use that word victim, mm-hmm. you know, because you can um, send the wrong person to jail or to the, to the noose. Right. And you don't want – we don't want to set up a culture where, you know, I'm walking down the street and – all of a sudden, I am being apprehended by police because I fit the description right. of someone vague. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had too much of that. Right. Now, now we're seeing where Al Franken. Al Franken lost his seat. That's right. Seat over accusations, which once they broke it down. Yeah, he basically took a picture of. Yeah. Yeah. 
basically a bad joke. Yeah, you absolutely. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm even now. I'm looking at past dates that I may have had and said, "Gee, you know, did I do something to the woman? And did I? I don't know. She's not saying anything and I'm that I did to wrong. Own that, yeah, but I don't know that I need to go to jail for that. Come if, on, if this was the '70s, man, I, I, when I was little, um, I was I would sleep in my great grandmother's bed, um, mm. uh, and she would fall asleep with the TV on. She's like, right. oh, I love sleeping in her room, right? Because at a certain point in the night, Benny Hill would come on. Oh, oh Benny Hill, yeah. love Benny Hill. <laughs> go ahead. If, if Benny Hill, millennials, was on, you have to you have to Google Benny Hill. Go ahead. <laughs> If Benny Hill was on, and one of the favorite sketches was when the music would be playing and he would be chasing women. If that was on now, can you imagine the reaction to it? I have a funny Benny Hill story. So Susan Evans, we were doing uh, Far Away, which is Carol Churchill piece. And she says, Reggie, I need you to have a British accent. I was like, wow, I'm going to have to listen to some tapes. She's like, yeah. Well, I'll listen to some Benny Hill, you know, like Benny Hill. Right? And Susan had the <laughs> the reaction on Susan Evans' face. No, not <laughs> Benny Hill. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I should say, you know, Susan is, I wouldn't say a feminist, but, you know, she's very, you know, strong with women's issues. And, yes, definitely. you know, that's an athlete. you want to label that? So, uh, ben Hill's a dirty old, you know, uh, right. <laughs> comedian really who, who, you know, dealt with misogyny, but also made he fun of himself. He brought another era right. into TV and film. Yeah, yeah. He, he, it was a sort of vaudeville blue era, and That's he right. brought it into TV and film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, Unapologetically. Uh, right. Or Flip Wilson, uh, you know, dressing in drag, and, you know. Which, once we bring that one up again, people are going to have, because right now the whole drag community is under attack. From the trans community, and I'm like, uh, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Because yes, how do you how identity? Yeah, which I'm totally happy that we're exploding this notion of identity mm-hmm. right now. Like all explosions, it's messy. Like when yeah. we had Sherilyn Connolly, and she mentioned Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, and had a visceral reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh wow! So she's reacting to, I guess, of a, a the filmmaker. Brian De Palma right. depicting a trans. Well, technically, Buffalo Bill was he wasn't transgendered. He was a guy who wanted to transvestite. Yeah, I guess a guy who wanted to be. You know, he he was a serial killer, <laughs> uh, Silence of the Lambs, right. who was killing women because he wanted to make a just like Ed Ed Gein, uh, Ed Gein, the, oh, geez. Um, the real killer. right, exactly, the real serial killer who was killing women, sewing their sewing their Body flesh parts. up. Yeah. This is a fun podcast, isn't it? <laughs> but um, but basically, you know, um, Sherilyn was saying, listen, that's not a real trans. That's just some crazy guy. Don't put us in that category. And that's what I'm saying. There's, yeah. Right. There's this new category, this new identity. And it's new in the sense that we are becoming very public with it in a way that we've never done before. Mm-hmm. And, and it deservedly has a lot of support. I, I totally believe that. But it's opening up a conversation in a way that, like, to the point of actually challenging me on my language. Hmm. I'm sorry. I I need new language to deal with this. That's what I need. Don't tell me to change the language that I've already grown up with. Yeah. Language that an English teacher would have failed me for using. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Come up with new words. Let's. Can we have new words and new identities? Yeah. I'm okay with Here's that. Here's a quick question for you, Barry, because a lot of this is just about... Social media, everyone has a microphone. Everyone can say what they yeah. want to say, and everyone's reacting to what people say. Yeah, yeah. Now, you have young kids. Yeah. 
How do you um, do you manage how they, I guess, use social media? Do, you, do they have a phone and an iPad or whatever? Oh, hell no. <laughs> my, kids, my kid, my oldest, he just turned nine. Uh-huh. He wants a phone. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, there, there's no need for you to have a phone. Um, what my kids love doing is getting on YouTube. Okay. And they watch other people playing video games. They watch gymnastics, things that they're in- interested in. Um, but we... Uh, their mom told me about um, something that happened on YouTube where uh, people are putting subliminal messages in kids' programming oh, yeah. uh, to encourage them to commit suicide and things. So we banned YouTube. Um, but there's there's no social media for them. Um, their thing is ABC Mouse and, you know, little games that they can put on their tablet. But, okay. Know. Good luck, because, you know, that's tough. You know, you can say, no, you're not going to do it, but you go to sc- they go to you school, and all of a sudden, yeah. Well, yeah. And, yeah, and you're going to fight a battle, off. and, of course, you're always going to be battling against the peers. Yeah. Mara. Yeah. So Dexter tells Mara. Yeah. Tells Mara that he's going to a party, mm-hmm. and he's going to spend <laughs> the night. I'm making an announcement. <laughs> he's he tells he's now. doing this. Uh-huh. That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm going to a party, <laughs> and I'm going to spend the night. How old is he? 17. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no, I, I, I get it, I get it. But at seventeen, I wasn't. I, could, I couldn't do that at seventeen. No, I, no, could have, I still I could don't have cuss in front of my mother. Yeah. If I had permission. To yeah. And then she says, "Where?" He gives her the address. She says, "Who?" He says, "You don't need to know. You don't know this person." Oh no, no, no. That's disrespectful. No, 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 no. And she's and she's saying it like, "Well, so I guess that makes sense." And I'm like, what? "Not in my world." Y'all do you. I'm the step parent, so I'm a, so I'm a step close. back. But oh no, what? no, no, no. In fact, just the conversation would have been a. You know what? We now need to have a new conversation because I've just gotten onto the place of maybe you aren't going. Yeah. Do you think that you've grown enough that you're gonna tell me you going someplace? Like I don't have no say in this. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. You need to remember until you get 18 and get out of my house. Right. I got total say. Right now, I actually can call the police. Yeah. And they will back me up. Re- so did you want to rethink this conversation about this party you were thinking about going yeah, to? He, he's yeah, he's got to have some respect for Mara. And, but that's on Mara. I remember when my I, – just before I graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, and I'm 18 years old, and I'm going to – it was an after. We had – we did Bubbling Brown Sugar, which is a wonderful Ooh, performance. Yes, John Sage, I was dancing, singing, all sorts of stuff. It was on TV. And we had like three aftercast parties. And, you know, one lasted like till three in the morning. And I got back home and I'm thinking everything's okay. And dad was just waiting for me. It was like, what the hell is wrong with you? You got to tell me when you're going to be in and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oops, oops, I'm sorry. Not, I had never done anything like that before. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, you got to have some healthy respect for your parents. Most definitely. Yeah. You have to get out of the house. With permission. Like, right. He, right. He was so close. Um, the minute he said, no, you don't need to. That's when he. Right. I, if no I was fear. standing there as, a, as his best friend. Oh, come on, man. Well, I'm telling you, that's the we, conversation. My house would have been, okay, so wait a minute. I guess you are going. Like, right. That's where it would have started. Yeah. You're not going. And now we will start a new conversation where you might convince me that maybe you, after you apologize that maybe you should be able to go. See, we didn't grow up in that entitled uh, uh, yeah. age. We, we, it was like, okay, we want to go out tonight. Let's, let's, let's clean the house. So we, I'm right. talking to my cousin, yeah, clean up the house. Yeah. And then we asked my aunt, yeah, hey, can we go, can we go to this party tonight? And she's like, well, 
I need you to do the dishes before you. I'm like, all right, right. Like, let's go. Right. Right. You wash, I'll dry. <laughs> right. We're wiping the counters, cleaning the microwave. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, can we go? Yeah, be back by 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, yes. We get out. 9.30 rolls, and we're having the time of our life. And we're like, you know what? It's going to take us about 45 minutes to get home. We're going to be late anyway. Why not just stay out until midnight? <laughs> right. We're going to get in trouble oh, anyway. Boy. And when we get back, we get yelled at. We soak it up. Next day, it's like, now what can we get into? You know, but yeah. you get can out you the house. remember that? And I was trying to remember, like, <laughs> can you quote it? The um, Richard Pryor, that nigga's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's talking to his dad about going out. He's like, hey, nigga, you better take the bass out your voice. I'm sorry, dad. I don't want to go to the farm. <laughs> no, no, the one when he says, uh, 11 o'clock, have your ass home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gets out to his buddies. Hey, what's happening? Uh, w- 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 you know, what's happening? Or something, something. And the response is, 11.30? We gonna pitch a bitch at 11.30. <laughs> and he gets home. Oh, because the last line with his dad is, and bring me a paper. Oh, I haven't heard that one. No, no it's the first. It's his first album. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, he, so he, he did one where he said, um, he said, back in my neighborhood, uh, niggas had to be home by 11, Negroes 12.30. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, I, the first, when I first heard it, I was in high school, it went completely over my head. Uh-huh. I heard it about a year ago, and I rolled. I <laughs> yeah. cried laughing. <laughs> Hilarious. Let's get into an origin story. Um, <sighs> Barry Graves. Um, yeah. So are you born and raised here? Um, born in uh, San Mateo, Foster City, mm. and um, raised in San Francisco. All right. Yeah. So a native boy. Yeah. Um, we were actually like uh, the second black family to live in uh, Foster City at the time. Oh, wow. There was the, Foster I City believe was the, probably pretty new at the time. I think there was maybe one or two families. One of them uh, was the Swans, uh, Lynn Swans family. Wow. And then uh, my, when my uh, grandfather and grandmother moved there, there was, yeah, they were the biggest, for sure, black family. That's right, because Lynn Swan is now coaching, I want to say, it's, it's some California school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's, um, I, I forget who it is. But do um, you have any siblings? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm the oldest of uh, seven. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, from my mom, there's uh, four of us, and from Catholic my father, there's uh, three, uh, three girls, mm. three girls, two girls, three girls, and one boy. So my father's there's four. My mother there's three. Oh wow! So, yeah. Wow! Mm-hmm. But when you grew up, did you grow up around? Uh, did you grow up with siblings? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I uh, my sister uh, came about four years after me. Um, three or four years after me, and then uh, our brothers came about ten years later. Okay, Ooh, cool. Yeah. So what was your first theater experience? Now, you um, told us about, you know, like uh, listening to the videos and all that stuff. And yeah. I was amazed when listening to that. I was like, because I didn't really get listen to MTV until after I was in college because oh, my really? parents were like, we're not, bu- why do we need cable? <laughs> you guys had cable? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Uh, we, we had cable before I even knew it. My grandfather was always one of those guys that needed a big, t- wanted a big TV. Mm. Um, so this was back in the 80s, uh-huh. uh, early 80s. He had this projection TV. Oh, wow. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull out the I bottom. The yes. There was a red and a blue yeah, and a green light three, or something. Right yeah, over that, flash yeah. Flash at the screen, yeah. and it was like a yeah. big bass. And so um, um, we always had a really big TV, um, and it was TV was always a part of my life, and it wasn't in, there wasn't anything wrong with it. You yeah. Know? Um, at the time, I, they would just sit me down in front of the TV, right, or I could read books. I was really into books and TV. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, did you do any theater productions at school, like um, kid yeah. production, that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, 
Jose Ortega was uh, an elementary school in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was where I got into poetry. I started writing poetry in the third grade. Nice. And um, by the time I got to the fourth grade, that's when the plays started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was um, in music class, um, piano and violin, trumpet. And um, when I started doing the theater plays, there was a woman that would come to our school and um, she would dress as a tree. She was a big tree. And she would tell these, read these stories as a tree. Hmm. Um, and it just, I was captivated by it. And then uh, Miss Nancy from Wampa Room came to our school. Nice. Wow. And I was so excited to see her because every child would sit there in front of the TV and watch Wampa Room and mm-hmm. wait for their name to of be course, called at the end. And she would never call Barry. And so when I got, she got to the school, I wanted to know why she didn't call my name. And I asked her, how come you never call my name? And she goes, well, it's TV. You know, you have to, your parents have to send in your name. It's TV? What do you mean it's TV? And I would watch TV and I would just study. I didn't know I was studying it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was uh, Arnold from Different Strokes. Um, oh, yeah. Webster yeah. and yeah. Um, uh, Nell Carter and yeah. uh, What's Happening. And all of these shows where there were these black families, but there wasn't a black father. Yeah, um, that's and, right. And I, I related to it because I didn't have a black father. Right. Mm. Um, so I would go to school and I would be Arnold. I would be Webster sure. in certain situations. Did you have a father at all? Yeah, yeah. Okay. My father, um, he, um, you know, the story with my father was um, he was a high school phenom, you know, um, football player, football star in San Mateo. And um, got a full ride to sco- uh, full scholarship to Grambling, um, personally by Eddie Robinson, and um, he had me at 19. Um, my mother was 17, and he came back home from school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, began you know living his life really fast, and just wasn't around. So I would run into him every now and then, mm-hmm. just randomly. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got to be in the sixth grade. Uh, he and my mom got back together and he moved in and there was a show called Midnight Caller. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, he was a San Francisco um, He's like actor, a radio singer. Yeah. Um, the, what's his name? Something singer. Um, yeah. And he, um, on the show, he was like a, a radio show yeah. DJ guy. So they were doing call this. show. Yeah, exactly. radio call-in show guy. So there was this, um, uh, so my father was like, yeah, I got a job over at the prison in San Bruno. So we would go drop him off, and we'd drop him off. we see all these big lights. He said, yeah, I'm going to be on TV. I'm gonna. And so I didn't think much of it. A few weeks later, or, you know, a month, however long later, um, we have a party, and it's a viewing party because the episode is coming on, mm-hmm. the Midnight Caller Show. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this show, and I see my father on TV lifting weights, and he's this big buff guy, and the, and the premise was a, a riot in prison, and the guy that's leading the riot called into the radio show uh, because he wanted the guy to come into the show, to, mm-hmm. into the prison, to document what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so to see my father on TV was like my – it was like a calling to me. Like, oh, not only can I watch TV, but I can be on TV because yeah. this is my father. I'm sitting right next to him, and he's yeah. on TV. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it kind of sparked something in me. But I still didn't get the acting bug until college. Nice. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are you still involved with your father now? I mean, are, is he still around? Um, when, when I was in college, actually, in 2004, um, 
he he drowned. Um, oh. He the the goal was for me to graduate, um, and he would come out to my graduation. We were going to take a road trip back to California, visit mm-hmm. relatives, and he ended up drowning. Um, mm. So yeah. Wow. Um, did you study? I'm sorry to hear about that. Uh, did you yeah. study um, theater in in college? Um, no, no. Um, in college, there was a play. Um, and so at, in college, I started uh, writing more. Um, I, I my writing went from poetry to rap, of course, mm-hmm. and then from rap to uh, you know just uh, writing story, short stories, mm-hmm. which I uh, later made into uh, short screenplays, short uh, movies, yeah. short films. Um, so at that time, uh, the Lysistrata project came along. And oh, I, I, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go out for this. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, you don't have to audition. If you want that part, you can just have that part. And so we, we did the reading, and I loved it. I loved it. Um, didn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. I came home about uh, two years later in 2005, and I was on, I was working at a dispensary. Um, this is how I met Hav, um, Javier Reyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, working at a dispensary and I was just, I just hated where I was in life. I was depressed. I was, you know, um, my mom was sick and I hadn't been on black planet in a while. I don't know if you guys remember black planet, but for college students, black planet was the dating site. Like, you oh, go there oh and I remember. Yes. I was on black planet. Yes. <laughs> and, and black people meet and black people meet. Yeah. yeah. com, all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and so I hadn't checked my black planet since college. And something that day told me to just go on there and look. I look in my inbox, which I never do, and there's this message. And it said, if you play the trumpet, write poetry, play the piano. And he had literally had a huge paragraph with all kind of instruments and different forms of art. He said, if you do any of this, come to the Bravo Theater on this date at this time. I look at my watch. I looked at the screen. It was that day, and I had about an hour to get there. And I went, I jumped in my car, drove up to San Francisco, mm. and um, Hob was doing this, If the Streets Could Speak. Mm-hmm. Um, he did about a week full of warm-ups. Uh-huh. And I was just like, man, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Mm. Um, at the end of that week, he handed out scripts, and the scripts had names on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, during this week, the cast dwindled down to maybe a handful of people. Right. And... Um, my name, my, my script had the name Anthony on it. And so I take the script home, and with any script, I'm flipping through the pages to see how many pages right, <laughs> my right, character is right. in. Yep, yep. I just want to know, am I the star of this thing? And I read Anthony's story, and I cried. Like, I, when, when, when that character um, presented itself to himself to me, I knew him. Um, mm-hmm. I knew him and my cousins. I knew mm-hmm. him from my brothers. I right. knew him from my father. Mm-hmm. And I knew his story. So when I went in there, uh, the next rehearsal, uh, to read uh, the part, Hoff said, just give me a monologue from Anthony. I already had it memorized. Right on. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, he said, stop, stop. Everybody be quiet. Barry, do that again. <laughs> I said, wait, are, are you sure? You, you want me? He said, Man, do it again, just like how you did it. And I, did, I was yelling, I was sweating, out, and I was giving my all. And he said, "That's how I want everybody to approach their character." Right on. So it, it just from then on, I had it. Like I wanted more of that. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah, yeah. 
And for those who are listening, Javier Reyes, uh, that's episode 99. We had him on. Can you talk more about that project? I mean, that um, what 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 was happening, you know, with the Javier's that thing? Yeah, um, the streets could speak. Um, it was a play that Hav had written with uh, a few of the cast members, original cast members, uh, based on one of his uh, students. Um, I can't remember his. I believe his name was D'Angelo. The um, mm. mm-hmm. can't remember his name. Uh, who was killed on the on a muni bus? Mm-hmm. accidentally uh, when a gun went off in his friend's backpack mm. um, who was being bullied and mm. brought the gun for protection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the if the streets could speak is about a kid named Anthony and Devon who um, are best friends. Uh, Anthony grew up um, um, kind of like in the system. Uh, his parents uh, weren't in his life. His aunt and uncle tried to raise him until – they, um, his uncle got killed and his aunt dropped dead. And mm. then he and his brother went into a foster home and uh, his brother was killed by one of the foster parents, uh, abused. And um, uh, Anthony just had nobody. And then he meets Devon in, in school um, and they become best friends. Devon is all he has right. until one day Devon is going off to college and mm. Anthony wants to keep him close. And so he shoots him, but he doesn't mean to kill him. Mm. Uh, now Devon is in a um, state of uh, uh, coma, or uh, mm. spiritually he's in purgatory. Mm-hmm. Which Javier geniusly he he used the airport as a purgatory, right. where if you can get your luggage and get on the <coughs> plane, you can cross over. Sure, but you can't get on the plane until you find out why you're there and forgive the person that put you there. Wow, and that's so awesome. Devon is watching uh, Anthony. Uh, go through his sure. motions, but not knowing that that's who killed him. Right. He's like, "Why do I keep seeing my best friend?" And he find when he finds out that 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 he killed him, he gets angry. Mm. Right. But you see, Anthony is struggling because he killed his best. All he had, he right. took him out. Right. Um, so you see the struggle that he's going through, and you see what brought him to this moment to be a killer. And you really you feel for both of these kids because mm-hmm. right. um, they're 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 children and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the needs that Anthony had was just to be loved. Right. Um, and he did everything he could to keep it, but he, he ended up losing it anyway. Wow, powerful. So this is through Brava? Brava was hosting it, or they actually created the program? Um, I think Hob was doing a residency at Brava. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We rehearsed at Brava, but we ended up doing the play at um, San Francisco Public Library, and sure. then we just mm-hmm. started touring it uh-huh. everywhere. Yeah. Wow, well, powerful. And so Hob and I know each other through Each One Reach One. Uh, actually, I think we know each other through The Magic used to do a program for young writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely started hanging on a regular basis through Each One Reach One. Oh, kept man. Hearing I, about these projects that he was doing. Yeah. And that's eventually how I met you. Yeah, yeah. Each One, each one Reach One, man. I, yeah. I messed that up, man. Well, they, no, they, they were, were just begging for people recently. Mm-hmm. They've gone under new management. And I'm like, I and then, as if to prove the point, they just sent out an email last week saying, is there anybody who can possibly do this program on any level? Because yeah. we just need people. And I'm like, this is so not what the program. The big One of the biggest things, selling points of the program is the stability that we are bringing into young people's lives. Yeah, we're only there for two weeks. But that time we're there, we're there. Mm-hmm. And we're there for you and we're focused on you. If you come in day three or day four and I didn't show up, you didn't show up, 
then that sort of undermines that whole notion that these kids can depend on you. And right. so the program they're trying to put together right now, which I think finally had to cancel, I don't know, but I wasn't available because I was like, mm-hmm. I can't do the whole thing. And I don't want y'all telling some kid on day four, day five, day seven that, oh, yeah, Norman, Norman's busy. Yeah. Norman's too busy to come yeah. in for you. Consistency yeah. is huge um, when working with that population. Oh, yeah. I know that just from working in the group homes. Each one reach one. Um, when I was there, I, I, I was really naive at the time, and I thought I was helping the program. And it ended up putting me in hot water with Robin and – and everyone, because I went up to Robin Williams' house, and um, <laughs> oh, the I, comedian, yeah, the late comedian. Wow, yeah, I actually rang his doorbell. <laughs> I rang his door. I was up all night working in the group home, and I heard from one of through one of the rehearsals that Robin Williams was up at uh, eight fifty. I mean, not eight fifty, um, Juvenile Hall in San Francisco, right. where we were. And I saw, I thought, oh, I know where he lives. I'll just go knock on his door, ask him if he'll come to the reading that we're doing. Stupid me, I go to the doorbell just after I get off work that morning, rings doorbell, they go, uh, yes, I, I, hello, man, speak to Robin Williams. I'm like, um, who's, who's, who's calling? Who, who is this? I'm like, oh, my name is Barry Graves. I'm with each one, reach one, and we're doing a deep reading, and we'd like Robin Williams to come out. And they're like, well, he's not here right now. I'm like, okay. So I go home. Right. I didn't think anything of it. Um, a couple weeks later, I get a phone call from Hob, and he's like, B. What did you do? <laughs> what do you mean? What did I do? What, what's wrong? He said, "Did you really go to Robin Williams?" I said, "How did you? Know, how did you know about that?" Mm-hmm. He goes, "Oh, you shouldn't." And we, he just started crying, laughing. But I actually uh, wasn't brought back to each one, reach one for almost ten years right. after that. So. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it was sounds like an innocent thing. I don't think it's, yeah, it, it is the program when Robin back then, back in the day, Robin used to be real fierce about trying to protect the program. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years that has eroded mm. and now it's been taken over by new management and that is not their focus at all. Their focus is helping the youth, the helping the population we're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. I get that. By not maintaining the integrity of the program, I think they are doing a disservice. That's my opinion. And rather than fight about it, I'm like, I'll just step away. Y'all do you, and I don't need to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about your film career. I mean, uh, your, how did you get involved in film? And, uh, you know, talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, so for, for, for um, you know, acting, um, I really got into theater really heavily with Javier. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that led to me being uh, Jody Sappis, um, Tappis, Sappis, Tappis, um, who um, told me, hey, I, I have a friend that's doing a, a, a film project. And I, you know, I went, I think it was Conscious Youth Media, um, and they were doing a film um, in San Francisco. I did a movie with them. I got the part, did a movie with them. And I just really loved it, it's it's so when I was young, we would go to L.A. and I just love looking at all of the buildings and the names of the streets mm-hmm. and um, and um, uh, seeing actors and things that running across Whoopi Goldberg and the hate when she was filming mm-hmm. Jumping Jack Flash wow. um, and walking up to her, I'm standing right next to her trying to get her attention and seeing Danny Glover in the airport or mm-hmm. you know things like this. It, it just all my life, I just loved loved the filmmaking world, just the whole thing. And so now I'm able to get in front of the camera and I, it doesn't feel like work to me. It's just the most wonderful thing in the world. Yeah. And so 
um, after doing that movie um, with Conscious Youth Media Crew, um, I I was riding in the car with um, um, oh goodness, I, her name is on the tip of my tongue. It, it, it'll come to me in a minute, I'm mm. sure. Deborah Koffler, Deborah Koffler. Um, riding in the car with her, and I'm like, Deborah, I have all these ideas for movies. I just don't know how to write them. She goes, Well, Barry, you know, there's an app. I mean, uh, there's a there's a program that you could uh, get online called Celtics, and it'll show you how to you just put it put in the information. Um, I went home that night, uh, went to work at the group home actually, mm-hmm. and I wrote my first um, short film called Daddy's Girl, uh-huh. and it was it was something, but it to me it, it just you know, I just put it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, then I got introduced to Duran Garcia. Sure. Um, through Hobby ah. And yeah. I'm like, Another. Oh. yeah, we had Duran on. Yeah, I, and I listened to that show like twice. Ah. And I um, I met with Duran. He said, well, let me see what you got, kid. And I give him Daddy's Girl. And he reads it. And he's like, Barry, can I take this home? I just need to look it over really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes it. And he when he gets back to me, he's gives me all this positive feedback he literally wrote me like a two-page letter uh giving me all this positive feedback and it just made me want to get all these other stories that i have in my head out um because growing up in san francisco especially in the 80s we were allowed to take the bus to the tenderloin by ourselves we were in like second third grade yeah um and you see all of these different characters that nowadays you know parents will guard their kids away you know pull them away from But we were just roaming freely. They weren't going to hurt us. No, right. Um, you know, we're in the Tenderloin. We're in Market Street. We're, you know, walking around Lakeview and Hunters Point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the parents are like, hey, there's there's gunshots. There's, you know, dope dealing going on. There's mm-hmm. all these gang things going on. But to us, these are our friends, our cousins, our uh, school right. friends, you know, things like that. And so it's important now that I've survived long enough, uh, that, that I've made it out of there, that I tell their stories, you know, mm-hmm. and so Po' Boy Films, my film company, is it's um, it's it's everyone's story um, uh, told through the lens of this person that you probably didn't know was standing there watching, uh-huh. yeah. but now he's giving it to the world. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Po' Boy Films. Yeah, we'll definitely um, we'll Very put cool. a link to that. Yeah. Do you have a link to? Uh, are there like? Do you have like videos that? That people can see? Not yet. Not yet. Um, the problem with, or I won't say it's a problem. It's like a gift and a curse. It, the, the thing about uh, writing and filming and doing everything is that um, it's all on me. So as I sure. learn and I buy equipment and I'm doing all of these things, uh, we just shot Killer Instinct, um, my first short film. Mm-hmm. And it was small. It was really, really small, which is why I went with it first. Um, but we, we have slated. Uh, five short films, five short films, um, and two reality shows. Mm. Um, um, but it's you know again, it's having to you know get the website, get the logo, get the company, mm. get the actors. Sure. Which has been the hardest part is getting actors. Well, you can get us. Yeah, yeah. if you guys are down, man. I have course. I have roles for you guys like right now. If you guys are down. Um, sure. But we, we did it for you. You can do it for us. Yeah. Get, getting actors is. One of the hardest things I've had right. to deal with. No, yeah, it's, 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 it always is. Yeah, and to transition into that, I definitely want to talk about you know your role as um, foreman in Paris. You know when you oh, were Richard man. Wright, and um, how, that's I should ask you, Norman. How did we find Barry? No, that's the how I found Barry is because I knew him from mm-hmm. 
from uh, each one reach one. And yeah. No, and honestly, I, I will tell you, honestly, my frustration was I wanted you to do it, mm-hmm. and you were just like, I just want to be the writer. I just want to really sit back. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so how am I going to replace you? Which means I've really got to open up the lens of who I think Richard Wright is. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about people that would give me, you know, and it's, uh, you know, no pun intended, but give me the weight yes. that I wanted for this character. <laughs> Um, and the more I just started to open that up a little bit, the more I was like, well, you know, I know a lot of different people. I'm like, I, and Barry's a little young for the role, but I thought, you know, that he would bring an energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was necessary, an energy and an intelligence. The yes. character is incredibly intelligent. Yes. And he's got this energy. And that's even at this point where, you know, just objectively, he mm-hmm. is—he has peaked. He has already passed his peak. Yeah. He doesn't know it. He's looking for that next mountaintop. Yeah. He's looking to save the world. And I would mm-hmm. say that throughout the rehearsal process. That's—he's—he thinks he's going to make it up to the next level. Yeah. But what he's done is he's found a peak that everybody else is climbing. Mm-hmm. And when they get up close to him, he's like, "That's cool. Yeah, we're peers, but." There's more that needs doing, and they're like, no, no, no. We just want to, we just want to achieve something like what you achieved, and we're yeah. gonna be happy. And he's looking for the next thing, mm-hmm. and Barry just, you know, it was the right energy. Yeah, you know, I had a conversation with Richard Harder um, immediately right. after the play. Richard Harder, he runs Off Broadway West, nice. and uh, we've had him on the program, and uh, I've stage managed with him, and. He's almost almost sort of been a mentor. I mean, just listen, watching him direct. He's directed several pieces, and uh, he even participated in the very first reading of Four Men in Paris, right. uh, where he was Richard Wright. And uh, he didn't want to do it. And really, he's sort of – the thing that he talked about in giving me his assessment of what he saw when he came to the D- Douglas Morrison Theater – he talked a lot about Richard Wright, about your your role in it, as, as like he is the a man who – has a a passion for he he's like um an individual who um he he believes in something he believes right. in this dream but he's the only one who believes in right. it he's got it's gotten so far it's almost like a star right. that has that has gone far away from everything else yeah. that he's almost unreachable and the way that he talked about it i said to myself he really must have loved Barry your performance mm. there's one thing that you brought to the performance that i could not have brought and Richard could not have, uh, Richard Harder could not have brought because I, I had asked him and he was like, eh, you know, it's one number one, you you guys aren't paying any money, and two, right. it's only three days, so you know right. what the hell. Um, but the size, number one, I mean, you were so imposing, physically imposing, oh, yeah. that that automatically set the tone for who was the alpha because right. really, forming in Paris, one of the major themes is. Who is the alpha male? Yes. These mm-hmm. may have been literary characters, but these are just four dudes. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. one of my my inspirations for writing it were my dad, my dad and his group. He had a group, um, our rendition, uh-huh. that performed in the 70s and the 80s. Right. And although they were buddies, they were always like, hey, I'm the lead singer uh-huh. or I'm the dominant. Right. And so there was always this, you know, this thing going on. And that's sort of what we wanted to establish there. Right. And that's what happened. You know, like we sort of got that. But also there was a gentleness that you brought to the character. Mm-hmm. When I wrote the yes, character, yes. it was very, very um, – you all good? <laughs> yeah. It was very 
I have a lot of terse and, you know, like I wrote the character as a rough individual, an right. individual who's right. very frustrated. Right. He had his peak. He's trying to, you know, write that one book that will, you know, that will sol- that will get, make him solvent. Right. He's waiting for Paul to call, right. and Paul won't give him a call, right. and his marriage is crumbling right. because no one understands his vision, yeah. and he's frustrated, yeah. and he's angry. Now, anyone could have done the obvious thing and just make him an angry guy and make him a one-dimensional, one-note character, mm-hmm. but you brought so, brought so much gentleness to the character that people yeah. could still care for you. But still understand your frustration, wow. and that was an amazing thing that you brought to the character, and the way that you worked with Kim Donovan was fantastic. Oh man! Uh, f- first of all, uh, thank you, uh, thank you guys for giving me the direction um, on where to go with the character and giving mm-hmm. me the freedom to um, to to go deeper with, you know, the the emotions, the the you know his um, um, body language, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then shout out to Kim, man, because. Um, she and I had some heavy scenes yeah. that required us to have a a conversation or two or three with each other just about how we were feeling and how, um, you know, we, we talked about race one time. Um, I think it was during one of the dress rehearsals. Um, and she said, you know, this is really, really heavy for me because and I'm, I'm not quoting, um, but Heavy it, for her, yeah, Kim? yeah. Because it, she's a white woman, white woman having to say these things to a black man who she, as a person, understands. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for her because she knows that his intention is just to uh, better the the uh, you know life for his family and his people. Right. Yeah. Um, and I told her, I said, you know, Kim, it's um, it's it's try not to wear that, carry that burden. Um, you. You get it, and that's great. Right. Um, but that's enough. Yeah. You know, a, a, after that, don't worry about every other white person out there that doesn't get it. Right. Because you have it, and that's what we need. Right. Um, and and she's like, okay, and that's okay. Who, and that's who yeah. Ellen is, the character. That's who Ellen is. Mm-hmm. She's a woman who's been there. She's been fighting in the trenches the whole time. She was doing it before Richard showed up. Yeah. And so she has already carried that cross. And this is the point where she finally goes... I can't do this with you. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not, it's not that she's going to stop doing it, but I can't do it with you. You won't let me in. You won't, you won't give me space. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's probably hard to love someone that is that big in life. You know, it, it's, um, it's like fences uh, in the, in the mm-hmm. movie. I saw the movie. I didn't see the play, uh-huh. but the Denzel character who, right. you know, at the end, his wife says he was just so large. There wasn't any room for there me. There wasn't any room for me. Um, and she so won an award off of that. Yeah. yeah. That is so amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Viola Davis. I mean, that I mean, one. I'm not saying she didn't deserve it. She totally. Yeah. It's a hard role. That is a hard role because mm-hmm. she does. The play gives her very little space. Yes. Yeah. So when she finally gets to speak out, you have to, as an actor, have been so present in that story. That's the exactly whole right. time that when you say that, we don't go, what are you talking about? We have to have seen it in every breath yep. Yep. of your performance leading up to that. Absolutely, exactly. and Kim had to do the exact same thing. She I did. sort of I she compared did. it to the Me Too movement versus the Black Lives Movement. Yep. Uh, that yep. speech, yep. because you guys are talking about yep. suffering. Yeah. She says, "I'm suffering. You don't understand where I'm coming from." And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm suffering." Yeah. How did you? What's your take on that? Because I never, I, mean, I never even asked you. What is your take on that whole speech? That whole moment there. 
Um, I've lived it. Like, I, I've lived it. Um, my wife and I, we, you know, she had a very, very traumatic life uh, growing up. Excuse me. And we, I did as well. Yeah. But to say, you know, I am hurting, it's like, okay, but I hurt also. And not compare those two different kinds of pains right. yeah. is a challenge because you yep. both just want to be heard. You both want to be understood yep. by the other person. Um, and in the play, it was I understood where where um, uh, um, the wife uh, Ellen. Ellen. Ellen's uh, pain came from. But it, it's it's almost like saying, okay, can you just hold on to that pain for right. a minute? Can you just yes. this just wait one second with that pain, and I'll get right back to it because it's like diet pain compared to my major pain, and the pain that I'm carrying. I am also putting that on the back burner to get my people ahead. Right. So if, if you can just hold on until I get back. And she did Which that. Which means she that just, you don't see that you're killing yourself, and she does. Exactly. And she's like, I can't stand here and watch this, and you refuse. You're like, whatever I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, like how does Jesus tell right. um, his, 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 his mother or his, his, his woman or whatever you want to call it, right. Jesus, how does he tell someone that loves him? chill on the love i have to go sacrifice myself right. real quick and maybe i'll get back to you maybe i won't yeah this is my journey right this is my destiny right. yeah. yeah yeah i've got a, i've got a podcast you got to have faith and we talk about you know jesus and his talk to the disciples who don't understand right. what the crucifixion is going to be he tells yeah, them listen sure. this is going to happen he's like well they don't quite understand mm-hmm. right. but um and it's just like you know like ellen when i wrote that scene I know that it was tough, you know, like how, how long have you been black? And, you know, right. and there's, and you, and you're doing all sorts of profanity and I'm sure that was very <laughs> uncomfortable for you. <laughs> it, was, it was, no, it, I, 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 um, so when I'm, when I, when I get into a character, man, I am, so when I, I've played real life people before. Sure. Um, sure. And w- one of the things that I do when I'm playing a real life person is I get I try to get into the spirit, the actual spirit of that person. Mm-hmm. So leading up to uh, our rehearsals and everything, I was listening to snippets of Richard Wright talk and uh-huh. things like that, and I'm just and I'm taking them in, and I'm 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 imagining what it must have felt like. So one of the things as a kid was I could feel other people's pain, like literally, mm-hmm. um, people would when they were going through something they would stare at me. For some reason, uh-huh. elder people on the street would just come up and talk to me. Mm. It, it was it was just it was the weirdest thing. And so, as an actor, I use all of that to get into the spirit of the person that I'm playing. So, mm-hmm. with Richard, it was very very easy because I found that I was also getting closer to the spirits of my grandparents, my mm-hmm. father, mm-hmm. and we had talked about uh, that because. I remember you saying, you know, be, you have to be flamboyant, you know, be a little louder. Be a I little told more. you to be your dad. Yeah, be my father. And um, and it was, I get it. I get it. There is this man who is so full of life, so right. his spirit is so huge. And his destiny is not to have kids. It's not to have a family. His right. destiny is to uplift a certain people right. or a, a, a movement and be the voice of that movement. But right. th- along the way, there's going to be a woman or two or three that fall in love with that person, mm-hmm. and he's probably going to have kids. And right. they're probably going to think, oh, now he has to be a husband. No. In his head, in right. his mind, he still has a torch to carry. Yeah. And that, w- that was Richard. And yeah. so I- I- in the play, there were these moments where Richard would, you know, I was uh, wiping my head or I was just, mm-hmm. you know, I was making these faces because the turmoil is I don't want her to hurt. I don't want to hurt my wife. I don't want to hurt my family. 
but I have to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it was it was very, very intense, man. Shout out to you guys for, for even putting that on, you know, writing yeah. it like no, that. No, thank you. And um, your family, what did, you, what did your family see when they saw when they saw you? Um, my because my, they, they came right, didn't they come? Yeah, yeah. Everybody was, um, you know, they're they're of course patting me on the back, and you did such an excellent job and things like that. You know, I I I hear that stuff, but I'm still in the game. You know, it, it's like mm-hmm. I still have my helmet on. You know, yeah. thank you, but I don't see, I don't really. It's not going to soak in until after the last night, the final night, and then I have a day or two to process it. Right. You know, that's when it kind of soaks right. in, and yeah, and I get it. I hear you. One last thing. What do you have coming up new? Um, yeah. Um, right now, um, I'm just – I'm in the lab. I am trying to get production deals <coughs> and um, mm-hmm. uh, get pitch meetings and things like that. Yeah. Um, we didn't even talk about you knowing Boots Riley. How do you, yeah. how, how do you know Boots Riley? Well, um, I, I don't know. I So I met him. That was um, funny. I, like, I heard this story. Go ahead. I, 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 I was coming home from uh, work one day, and um, I saw him pulling out of – uh, the high school, Fremont High School, and I just I recognized him. You know, mm-hmm. uh, light skinned dude with the afro. I recognized that guy, and so I sat there in my car. He pulled around the corner, drove off. I sat there in my car for about a minute and a half, debating: Do I chase him down? Do I just offer my business card? And something told me, "Man, you better hurry up." So I I put the my foot to the metal, and I caught up with him about three blocks later. He was sitting in the middle of an intersection. He must have saw me, like, speeding up behind him and stopped. And I pulled up right beside him. I should have got shot. By all means, <laughs> by Oakland, Oakland yeah. Standards. Yeah, yeah, Oakland yeah, standards, yeah, yeah. I should have got shot. That was way out of bounds. And his window was down. I said, hey, uh, my name is Barry, Po' Boy Films. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and um, I recognize you. And he said, yeah, um, I'm Boots. And... Uh, we just wrapped up um, this. Today was our last day of production for a film I'm doing. And he gave me his number. He said, give me a call after uh, July. I'll be free. And um, I held on to that phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, August came, and um, I saw on YouTube a trailer for Sorry to Bother You. Wow. And wow. I said, oh, that must have been the film he was yeah, working on. Yeah. Right. And I called him, and it went to voicemail. You know, I, I think I must have waited too long. Right. And so, of course, the buzz starts building up. And then, you know, I, I reached out a couple more times. But um, I'm still, you know, I'm still going to try. I'm, I'm following them on social media. Wow, well, yeah. The, hey, man, you know, you're following your dreams. And, uh, wow, and that, that is fantastic. But yeah. you're, you have tremendous talent as an actor. And I can't wait to see, you know, what you've got going on film-wise. Mm. Poor boy films. All right. Yeah. Shout-outs. Birthdays. Birthdays. And I feel bad because I just went ahead and skipped over them people from when I wasn't here. So, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's all good. But this week, uh, Stephanie Weissman, who started The Marsh. Um, and, you know, if you don't know The Marsh, it's um, a major venue in San Francisco. They uh, produce new works, um, a lot of solo works. So, uh, these days they've got things going like, uh, what's his name? Um, and I'm forgetting it now. Um, there's uh, Dan Hoyle, who's Jeff Hoyle's son. He's been doing some pieces there. Um, uh, Cornbluth, Josh Cornbluth. Whenever he's creating something new, he goes through there. I miss Don Reed. That's who I'm trying to come up with. Don Reed, the black. Oh, and the longest running solo show supposedly in San Francisco history is um, Brian Copeland. Mm-hmm. Um, not a genuine black man. 
Okay. And oh. so when he creates new stuff, he creates it through there. Don Reed, though, is – Brian Copeland is a writer and a, a radio commentator, but he's – I unless he's really gotten some skills, he's not that much of an actor. Don Reed is an amazing performer, right. and he was the – to use the inappropriate term, he was the fluffer for Jay Leno on The ah. Tonight Show. Um, but he is incredible, and he's done a few shows here. Um, he did one that got a lot of attention called East 14th Street. Um, but he's oh. um, he's got shows. Anyway, Stephanie is the one who creates a venue for these people. Got it. Eric Engdahl. Um, I met when I started working up in Richmond at the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts. He was running their educational outreach program, and he now is running the education program at uh, Cal State East Bay. Um, he's in charge of the department now, and he had to let go of the Richmond job when he transitioned into that. Hansford Prince, when I first started working in Bay Area Theater, I got to do a show at uh, Theater Rhinoceros. They had a little studio downstairs, and we got to do um, Leroy Jones's The Toilet and The Baptism, two one acts. And I met Hansford, and I learned Hansford is a big personality. He's a wonderful guy, he's a wonderful performer, but. That big personality can kind of crowd you out if you don't <laughs> claim your space. And he mm -hmm. taught me how to do that. I remember I stage punched him, but I punched him in the chest one day. And he jumped at me. <laughs> and I did it intentionally to get the director's attention because he was crowding me out. And I was like, dude, I don't know why you're over here and why you're <laughs> fucking with me. Um, and so I punched him, stage punched him in the chest. He jumped up like he was going to do something. And the director said, what's going on over there? I, he's like, he punched me. And I said, he keeps fucking with me. The director said, Hasbro. Go over there. You're supposed to be over there. Put him on the other side of the stage. <laughs> and somehow gained his respect through that. And so through the years, we've had wonderful respect. That's tough. Uh, Rebecca Novick uh, was the original artistic director of Crowded Fire and now is just a freelancer in the Bay Area. Michael Chang is my brother. Mm -hmm. We did um, uh, House on Mango Street, Sandra Cisneros. And that show, they kept bringing back for like four years. They kept bringing us back for different things. And we played brother, uncle, neighbor, everything. It was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, Ken Narasaki, the last two people I have on my list, mm -hmm. Ken Narasaki is a playwright. And he's been working with Ubuntu. So nice. um, I will just say that much about it, but it's kind of cool. And Anna Budd, I met her as a young playwright. And she wrote a play I would still love. It was being workshopped at the time, and we just did a reading of it. Mm -hmm. And I know that it went on. I would, I've always wanted to see more with it because it was the, fem the, the protagonist was a young woman with a sword. Wow. <laughs> and, she, and I'm like, and it worked. I'm like, I could totally envision this on stage, but I could envision it even bigger than that. It was such a cool show. So those are the birthday shout-outs I've got for this week. I've already gotten a few responses back from people going, yay, thanks. People love getting their birthday acknowledged. Oh, love, lovely. But I'm like, <laughs> tell me what shows you're doing. Tell me what you got Yeah, coming up. exactly. And I think right now she's uh, teaching at, like, Foothill College or something down on the peninsula. So nice. Yeah. Anyway, those are my birthdays. Yeah, you may have um, – maybe you were just saving it for me, but Crystal Brown, did you have her? No, I didn't. Yeah, Crystal Brown. Remember we had her no, on. I remember her on. <laughs> She, she was, was episode uh, 62. She was in uh, the uh, the ear. Anton's well. Anton's well. Ear, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the human ear. With so her Luel. That's right, with Luell, which I'm trying to get on. He's Luell is shy. He uh, Chris, is shy. Yeah. Um, her birthday is tomorrow, uh, the 21st. I'm sorry, the 20, no, the 31st. 
uh, also my brother-in-law, John Miller, his birthday is on April the 1st, also April the 1st, April Fool's Day, Wayne Rohde. He is a uh, veteran stage manager and actor, mm-hmm. and I've got to get him on. Um, but not a roadie. Uh, <laughs> no, not a roadie. On April the 2nd, Tom Bet George, uh, he directed me. We did Godspell, and so his birthday is on the 2nd. Uh, also talented pianist. Uh, Claire Sagario, uh, she is a uh, bindle stiffer. Uh, her, her birthday is on April the 2nd. Also, April the 3rd, uh, Wendy Wyatt Mayer. Uh, she and I, we did Fear and Misery in the Third Reich, a couple of Bertolt Brecht one-act plays. That was a long, long time ago. Uh, I have no idea what she's doing these days, but her birthday is on the 3rd. And on the 4th, uh, John Lewis, who is a longtime uh, costume designer, uh, was at the Douglas Morrison Theater. Oh, uh-huh. So those are the birthdays I have. Yay. Events. Uh, well, tomorrow is this reading of Robert Alexander's thing. Uh, the um, organization, and that's kind of blowing them up a little bigger than they are, but it's called Play by Play. The last Sunday of the month at the Brooklyn Preserve, 2 o'clock. Um, they really want to support playwrights and give them a venue to get their works read. So tomorrow, whoever shows up, we're going to sit down at the table and we're going to read I Ain't Your Uncle by Robert Alexander. Mm. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. That last month I did it with Richard's play, D. Tier. Yeah. Um, so that's coming up. Um, I think I've been avoiding saying that I'm in As You Like It, but I am in As You Like It. So free Shakespeare in the Park. If I get in trouble, we're so close. Like I finally got a memo of understanding, memorandum of understanding mm-hmm. to sign. So I know this is happening. Nice. But uh, I don't know. We've They've officially announced it. But I'm announcing it. Okay. Um, that'll oh, be, we don't. Go that'll ahead. It'll be Free Shakespeare in the Park. It'll be all summer. We actually start workshopping music next week. And uh, it's going to be Pleasanton. We'll start off in Pleasanton. We'll go to Cupertino and then Redwood City and then back to the city. So mm-hmm. those are the big things that are keeping my attention right now. Anton's Well has announced their season, but they don't have anything coming up right away. Okay. And the, fil- the show that we had, uh, if you remember Karen... Yeah, Kieran Bethia. Yeah. He had, uh, yeah, he had uh, directed a piece. Mm-hmm. That piece is Seraphiel. Seraphiel, yeah, is happening right now with Ubuntu. Right on! Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Right. Um, all the way. Uh, that is a play Ooh. at the Contra Costa Civic, the- Civic Theater. Huh. Um, that has Kari Moy in it. Mm-hmm. Also. Um, Terrence, Terrence, Terrence Smith, Smith yeah. is in it. Uh, that's a play, civil rights play, mm-hmm. about Martin Luther King and Lyndon B. Johnson and that whole civil rights uh, period uh-huh. in 1964. That'll be uh, running April the 12th through May the 5th. I just got his picture up on the Yay page, so if mm-hmm. you can tag it, because I tried to tag it and it wouldn't let me tag it. Oh, okay. Uh, which, which, what picture is this? Uh, from here, when he did his interview here. Oh, Kari. No, no, no. No, uh, Terrence. Terrence. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do it. If I, I think I still have it. If, 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 yeah, if I don't have I it, send it I to posted, me. No, I yeah. posted the picture on there. Yeah. It just won't let me tag it. Oh, okay. So oh, see I'll, if you can tag I'll, it. See, I'll, I'll definitely tag it. So all the way, you got to check that out. Also, La Ronde, uh, the Cutting Ball Theater, oh. is having uh, uh, La Ronde. That's March the 14th uh-huh. uh, through, it began March the 14th through April the 14th. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janae Simon, we've talked about her. Yeah, yeah. She's in the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mystery of Irma Vep, that will be uh, running April the 12th through April the 28th. Oh, we're supposed to go to that, aren't we? 
Yeah, we were invited. That's Alicia Von Kugan and uh, Damon, Dana Lewenthal. Well, they were guests. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> right, exactly. April 12th to the 20th. And that's all that I have. I'm sure there are a bunch of other stuff going on. Barry, you got any shows you want to shout out? Um, I, I don't have any shows, um, but uh, my son, Barry, just had a birthday. Yay! Uh, right on. My, uh, my Barry son, Jr., huh? Uh, the third. Yeah, Barry the third. Barry the third. And, uh, uh, my son, Sir, turns uh, eight years old next month. And my daughter, her birthday isn't until September, but she's going to kill me if I don't mention it. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, my daughter, Rio. Um, I also just want to, if I can real quick, sure. just give a, a quick shout-out to, to you guys and also the cast of Women in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, with a, a extremely talented group of people. Um, and also to um, uh, uh, Javier Reyes. He's is like my, my brother mm-hmm. uh, from totally birth, man. Mm-hmm. Um, just for um, welcoming me in. Welcoming, welcoming me into the uh, the theater world here in San Francisco, um, and um, and yeah, everybody else that's uh, that's out there doing it. I I just I'm looking forward to making a lot of great movies and and uh, uh, getting it off the ground. Yeah, and we'd love to work with you. You know, with any new projects you've got going on. Thank you, man. All I'll right. definitely give you guys a call. <clears throat> yeah. Did you have a good time here? I did. I did. It, like this was. Everything you know when when I when I listen to it on the on the app, it's like okay, I can't wait to get there. Now that I'm here, it's like oh man, it's over. It's just because you're having so much fun. You know, <laughs> Tell me one of the longer ones. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I love the long ones. I know, I know you know. You, <laughs> <laughs> you know, make sure you guys listen. Yeah, <clears throat> no, I, th- I think if it's long, it's kind of like a movie. Like they say that the uh, the next. Avengers movie is going to be three hours long. Did you I hear about this? Wait in for game? That. Yeah, yeah, in game. I can't wait for <laughs> Hey, that. three hours. If it's good, if it's engaging, hey, I'm there for it. Oh, so. Right. All righty. Uh, let me give you my blurb. You can find the uh, the yay on, um, on the uh, Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. Really, any app that you use to listen to podcasts, you can find us. Just do a search and you'll find us. Um, if you listen to a, your podcast on a desktop or a laptop, you can find the A on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store, use the search engine on the upper right-hand side and search for the A, you'll find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and you will find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You can find me at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. And how about you? Are you at uh, Poor Boy Films? At poorboyfilms.com uh, and also at poorboyfilms on Twitter. Oh, nice. Right on. Oh, we'll, we'll, add, we'll add that on there. And we got to find, find a better, better sign-off. <laughs> and we are out. <laughs> <laughs>